0: I do have that passage open in front of you. And let me begin by asking you a question to think about. Uh, that is, how do you feel uh, about the state of the gospel in this country? As you turn on the television or, or you read the paper, what do you feel? Or closer to home, uh, how do you feel about the state of the gospel in London or in Chessington. If the media is to be believed, then the situation is pretty bleak, isn't it? Secularism is on the rise and the church continues to shrink. It continues to be seen as outdated, as irrelevant, and more often than not, just plain offensive. American pastor Matt Chandler writes this, Unless you want to put your head in the sand and leave it there, there's no use denying the fact that fewer and fewer people are claiming to be Christians in the West. And that Christians are losing social status and favour more and more, almost by the day. Whether it's new legislation or debates around religious liberty, or just the way that our neighbours and co-workers look at us, when we mention that we agree with the Bible on topics of salvation or relationships or truth. We're living in a new era. He goes on, It was one thing to move towards a pluralistic society where we lived alongside those who looked and thought differently to us. But now that's not good enough. No, we're currently experiencing the intolerance Of intolerance Christians are seen as bigots churches are viewed as hate groups and our beliefs are seen by millions as backward and hateful welcome to the age of unbelief and maybe you hear that and your reaction is to be discouraged to be concerned, worried, anxious. When you look back over the last five, ten, twenty years and see how attitudes towards the church, the Bible, Christians have changed, you can't help but despair. But whilst increasing opposition leaves us often feeling concerned or anxious, one emotion that we shouldn't feel Is surprised. You see, as we read the Bible, we see that opposition to the gospel, opposition to Jesus and to his followers, is actually the norm rather than the exception. Back in John chapter 15, just before the passage Gareth has just read, Jesus says this to his disciples. Back in 15 verse 18, you can flick there if you want to. 15 verse 18, if the world hates you, Jesus says, keep in mind, that it hated me first. He goes on, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus says the normal Christian experience is to face opposition and hostility, to be hated by the world. That is the experience of many Christians around this world, and it is increasingly our experience in this country. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we respond when we hear something like this? How do we respond when evangelism becomes increasingly more scary and seemingly harder and harder to do? Well, as we began to see last week, Jesus says the first thing that we need to do is to remember that we're not alone. If you were with us last week, we've just started a new series over the summer looking at the Holy Spirit. Uh, I explained last week that normally we work our way through books of the Bible, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Uh, But for the next few weeks, we're we're looking at a more topical series. We're, We're looking at what the whole Bible says on the topic of the Holy Spirit focusing in on uh, the parts that talk specifically about him. Uh, and last week we saw that, that Jesus gives his, his spirit to his people. God himself living in us, helping us uh, to keep on following Jesus, even when he's not standing right next to us uh, as he was with the disciples. And as we're going to see this evening, the Spirit comes to live in us and helps us not just to live for Jesus, but to speak for him. And so at the start of our passage in 15 verse 26, we see, don't we, that we are called to testify to Jesus. Despite hatred, despite the opposition that Jesus says inevitably will come, we are called to keep speaking about him. But as we do so, we must remember that the Spirit is testifying with us. In other words, as we falteringly try to speak the gospel to our friends, as we just heard Horace talk about, we must remember that the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us. He is working in the hearts of those we are speaking to how does that work how does the spirit help us as we speak about jesus well i think we see two things from our passage this evening the first is that the spirit convicts the guilty the spirit convicts the guilty in chapter 16 verses 1 to 6 jesus again explains that the disciples are going to face opposition for speaking about him and it's not hard to imagine is it isn't it with with just a few of them gathered together It's not hard to imagine what they're thinking and feeling. Jesus, how on earth do you expect us to do this? How on earth are we meant to take the gospel, the the news about you, to a world that is going to hate us and persecute us? And you're not even going to be with us. Jesus, you're not even going to be by our side. How do we do it? To which Jesus says in verse 7, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good, that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says again, don't worry. I'm going to send the advocate. I'm I'm not leaving you alone. The Holy Spirit will come. And verse 8, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And so you see, it is the disciples' job and it is our job here this evening to tell people about Jesus. But it is the Spirit's job to do the work of conviction, to show people their true standing before God. And so as we speak about Jesus, as we bear witness to him, it is the Spirit who will convict people's hearts. He'll convince people, firstly, verse 9... Of their sin. People have got all sorts of different ideas and definitions of sin, haven't they? I guess if Horace asked one of his mates what they thought of sin, what sin is, they would have all sorts of different answers. But here Jesus is talking about the sin of not believing in him. And whilst that might not be the first thing that springs to ours or our friends' minds, it is a serious thing. It's serious because of who Jesus is. You see, if Jesus was just another well-meaning religious teacher, to go alongside all the other well-meaning religious teachers, well, it would be totally reasonable, totally fine, to choose to ignore him and listen to someone else. If he were a fanatic or an extremist, it might be wise to ignore him. But the problem is, Jesus is neither of those things. The Bible is clear, isn't it? Jesus is God's son. That has been John's big message as he writes his gospel. Right at the end in chapter 20, he says this, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. Jesus is God's son. John has written the whole gospel to prove that point. And so he should not, he cannot Be ignored. To do so is serious. It is sin. Secondly, in verse 10, the Spirit will convict people of their righteousness or lack of righteousness. Righteousness in the Bible is all to do with our standing before God. To be righteous is to be in the right with God. And again, this is something that people tend to get wrong, isn't it? If you went out into Chessington this week and asked people, if there is a God, do you think he'd be happy with you? Happy with how you live your life? I think most people would say, yes. Yes, I think he would. And that's because most of us tend to think of ourselves as generally good people, don't we? What we do is we compare ourselves to the bad people, the murderers, the terrorists, people like that. And we say, well, I'm not like that, so I must be one of the good guys. If there is a God, then I'm pretty sure he would be pleased with me because I'm not like them. But again, the problem is the Bible doesn't tell us to compare ourselves to the bad guys. The Bible compares us to Jesus. But the Bible compares us to Jesus, the only one who is truly righteous, the only one who is truly perfect. And so as people hear about Jesus, as they read about him in God's word, as they see God's perfectly righteous son, well, the Spirit convicts them of their own unrighteousness in comparison The Spirit exposes our our false confidence, our false belief that we are better than we really are. The Spirit convicts people of sin, of unrighteousness, and thirdly, about judgment. You see, again, it's often the case, isn't it, that people come to the Bible expecting to judge Jesus. Often when we invite someone along to Christianity Explored or to read Word one-to-one with us, we kind of make it sound like they have the opportunity to judge Jesus, to see what they make of him. And That's because we like to think that we are the ultimate authority in this world, definitely the ultimate authority in our life. And so we are the ones who get to make the judgment about Jesus. We're in the judgment seat. But the Spirit flips that thinking on its head. The Spirit shows us that the reality is Jesus is the judge. And so often someone will start something like Christianity Explored thinking they're in the judgment seat. But then the more they look at the Bible, the more they hear Jesus speak, the more the Spirit shows them that they are the ones in the dock. The Spirit shows us that that we're in the dock and well, that we're all guilty. Guilty of sin, of rejecting Jesus, of ignoring him, or wanting nothing to do with him. Guilty of unrighteousness, or of not living up to God's standards, let alone our own. And therefore, we are guilty and we stand along with Satan in verse 11, condemned before the true judge, Jesus Christ. And I know as we think about that, as we think about that as part of the Spirit's work, that that can seem pretty harsh, pretty full on. But I hope you can see that that is exactly what we and what other people need to hear. We need the Spirit to convict us of our sin, to show us what we are really like. Because we will only ever come to Jesus if we are convinced that we really need him. It's a bit like going to the doctor, isn't it? It's never fun going to the doctor. No one goes to the doctor for a fun day out. But it is necessary. It's necessary because we need the doctor to give us the right diagnosis before we can find the right cure. And here Jesus is simply saying, the Spirit diagnoses us. He gives us the diagnosis. We are all sinful, all unrighteous, and so all guilty before the judge. And it's also important that we get the full diagnosis, not just a part of it. You see, I've spoken to plenty of people, often people from other faiths, that believe in a God. They believe in God and they believe that he will judge humanity. They are convinced of our unrighteousness, convinced that we face God's judgment. But they're not convinced about Jesus. Uh, So they think that living a certain way, uh, performing certain religious rituals, uh, by doing those things, they will avoid God's judgment, maybe. In other words, these people, they need the Spirit to convict them of that fundamental sin, of rejecting Jesus. Or there are other people that you might know, people who have some sort of a belief in God, some sort of a belief in life after death. They perhaps even believe in Jesus. but They basically think he's just a, a sort of good example. And so if they follow his good example, if they try very hard to be good, moral, upright people, well, then God will be pleased with them, and they will go to heaven. I know lots of people who think like that. They need the Spirit to convict them of unrighteousness. They need the Spirit to show them that they can never please God or earn his favour simply by trying harder. And then there are those people that don't believe in a God who will judge at all. That surely if God is a God of love, that he doesn't mind how we live as long as we're happy. As long as we're being true to ourselves. Those people need the Spirit to convict them that God is perfectly just, perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, and he will judge the world, not according to an individual's perception of happiness, but according to his perfect standard. And so you see, as we speak the gospel, as we proclaim the truth about Jesus, well, the Spirit gets to work in people's hearts. He diagnoses them. He gives them the full diagnosis of their condition before God, and frankly, it is a painful process. It's a painful process that, that continues on into the Christian life. As Christians, the Spirit continues to, to expose us, to expose our sin, to expose our unrighteousness before God. God. As we continue to look into God's Word, the Spirit continues to show us what we are really like. And often it's painful. But thankfully the Spirit doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us with the diagnosis. He also points us to the cure, which is the second thing that we see in our passage. The Spirit glorifies the Saviour. The Spirit glorifies the Saviour. Verse 12, Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. If you were with us last week, we heard Jesus say something very similar back in chapter 14. He told the disciples that the Spirit was going to come and help them. And he would do that by reminding them of everything that he had been teaching them. uh, With the explicit purpose of them going on and telling others about Jesus. Uh, And here he says the same thing. The disciples' task is to tell people about Jesus. And the Spirit's going to help them by guiding them in all truth, Jesus says. Uh, But do you see the Spirit's aim as he does that? His goal, it's there in verse 14. Jesus says, he will glorify me. He will glorify me. The Spirit's aim in helping and guiding the disciples is to glorify Jesus. We saw this back in 1 Corinthians, didn't we? If you were here for the Q&A, I said that the Spirit is more like a spotlight than a laser show. If you've ever been to one of those kind of nighttime laser shows, kind of you, you get them at fireworks displays, don't you? Uh, and the point of the laser show is for us to be impressed by the lighting, by the lasers uh, as they make different patterns and shapes in the night sky. That is very different to the purpose of a spotlight, because the purpose of a spotlight is to draw attention—is not to draw attention to itself, but to the thing that it's lighting up. And so if it's some sort of magnificent building like the Albert Hall or something like that, we're not meant to say, wow, look at the beauty of that lighting system. That would be really weird. No, we're meant to be amazed by the building, by by the thing that's being lit up. And verse 14 says that the Spirit's job is to put a spotlight on Jesus. As one author puts it, the Spirit's work and his delight is always to shine a light on Jesus, to bring him before our eyes and glorify him. And so as we read the Bible, as we come to God's word, the Spirit will convict us of our sin, but then he will point us to our Saviour. He will point us to the one, he will glorify the one Who can deal with that sin? The one who can remove that guilt and shame so that we can experience God's love and forgiveness rather than his condemnation and judgment. Maybe as you hear that, you can relate to what Jesus is saying here. As you think back over your life, you can remember a time when God, the Bible, Jesus, th- these things meant nothing to you. Perhaps you're someone like me, someone who grew up coming along to church right from a small age. It grew up hearing the Bible taught week in, week out. But despite hearing those messages, you didn't think it had any real relevance to your life. You thought that if there was a God, that you were probably good enough for him, and so you didn't really need to worry about forgiveness and Jesus and grace and all that kind of stuff. But then at some point, maybe it was a particular day, maybe it was a a period of months, you began to see things differently. The words of the Bible no longer drifted over your head. But instead they seemed to be speaking directly to you, directly into your life. They seemed to somehow penetrate your heart, expose Your guilt, your sin, your shame show you what you're really like. And then suddenly Jesus went from being an irrelevant bloke who lived a long time ago to the most glorious, the most loving, the most amazing person you'd ever seen. Ignoring Jesus now just seemed like the most ridiculous idea in the world. How could you possibly, possibly ignore the one who had given his life to deal with your sin? How could you ignore the one who had left the glory of heaven to die on a cross for you? Jesus was no longer boring, but brilliant. No longer irrelevant, but essential. And so you put your faith, your trust in him. If that has been your experience or or something like it, Well, then Jesus says here in John 16, that was the Spirit. That was the Spirit working in you. If you're a Christian here this evening, that at some point in the past, whether gradually or suddenly, the Spirit convicted you of your sin and opened your eyes to the Lord Jesus. We saw in 1 Corinthians 12 no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And so becoming a Christian, seeing Jesus and believing in him is a supernatural experience. We cannot bring it about by our own efforts. And knowing that, knowing that should lead us to respond in two ways. First, we should be thankful. Because in the end, the reason you're a Christian here this evening is not because you were brought up in this country, It's not because you were somehow more self-aware or more intelligent than other people. You didn't just one day decide to think about things differently or to change your life. You didn't look at the evidence and happen to stumble across the right conclusion. No, you're a Christian because the Spirit opened your eyes to the Lord Jesus. And that means rather than feeling proud or or smug, rather than looking down at at neighbours and friends who just don't seem to get it, we should instead be humbled and filled with an overwhelming thankfulness to God that by his spirit and by his grace, he chose to reveal himself to us. As Christians, we should be filled with thanks and praise for the work of the Spirit in our lives and in each other's lives. We can be thankful because of the Spirit. And we can also be confident. This comes back to what we, where we began with Horace and the start of the sermon. We began thinking that the fact that evangelism is hard work, isn't it? Whether that's because of an increasingly hostile culture or particularly hard-hearted friends we can sometimes feel as though it's just getting nowhere, that it's just a bit hopeless. We can feel hopeless, and, and then in our desperation, we can begin to look for the silver bullet, uh, the new course that's just come out, the, the new technique, the particular preacher, the book that everyone's raving about. Uh, we think maybe if we find a, a Christian celebrity to come and speak at our next event, then, then that'll convince everyone that then they'll get it then they'll believe. And don't mishear me. None of those things are bad things. Of course they're not. They're not bad things in themselves, but they do become bad things when we put our confidence in them rather than the work of the Spirit. And so we must be really careful not to rely on our own abilities, not not to rely on our own efforts or strategic thinking rather than remembering that it is only the Spirit who will convince someone that they are a sinner. It is only the Spirit who will open people's eyes to see who Jesus is. And so you see, as we take the gospel into a hostile world, a world full of indifference and opposition, Jesus says in John chapter 16, we can be confident. We can be confident. Not confident in ourselves, but confident in the Spirit. The Spirit who takes our feeble, half-hearted witness and uses it to change people's lives forever. Confident that he is at work changing people's hearts just as he changed your heart. And so we need to pray. We need to pray and ask God that we would put our confidence in the right place as we continue to speak about Jesus and make him known. So let's do that now. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have such wonderfully good news to share with people. Father, please forgive us for our half-heartedness please forgive us for our lack of love both for other people and for the Lord Jesus but father we pray that you would embolden us you would give us courage to speak and we thank you that as we do so we can do so confidently knowing that it is not us but you by your spirit that changes people father please help us to open up your word your words of life with people and pray that the Spirit would change them to come to know and love the Lord Jesus just as he has changed us in that way. And Father, as we do that, we pray that just as we've seen, that we would glorify Jesus in all that we do. Amen.